Now let's read together from the scriptures. We're going to turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to read together the first 17 verses of the chapter. Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to read the first 17 verses together. Now follow with me. I'll do my best to pronounce these words properly and phonetically. I probably won't get them perfect, but at least we'll make a, an attempt. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Let's hear the word of the Lord. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. And Judas begat Phares, and Zara of Thamar. And Phares begat Ezron, and Ezron begat Aram. And Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Naasson. And the Asson begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias, and Solomon begat Roboam, and Roboam begat Abiah, and, be, and Abiah begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, and Joram begat Ozias. That's probably not pronounced right. And Ozias begat Joatham, and Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat Sorry. And, oh, and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Manasseh, and Manasseh begat Ammon, and Ammon begat Josias, and Josias begat Jeconias, and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salalthiel, and Salalthiel begat Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel begat Abiod, and Abiod begat Elkayim, and Elkayim begat Azor, and Azor begat Zadok, and Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliod, and Eliod begot Eliezer, and Eliezer begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, which is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Amen. We know the Lord will bless to us this feeble attempt to read together from the scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through to 17. And my theme 
tonight is learning from the family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, is all about the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah, as the promised King of Israel. Now, when you read a genealogy like this, you sort of find, well, it's something to hurry over. The words, as we've demonstrated, literally, are hard to pronounce. And, of course, the, the spiritual expectations are low. There's not much here for the soul. And you sort of feel, well, let's just skip over it then. It's not really important. And, of course, I want to tell you tonight, if you think like that, when you come to this portion of Scripture or the other genealogies, you're, you're dead wrong. Because I want you to think tonight of 2 Timothy 3 and 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. The Lord Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And there's food here for hungry souls. And there's a treasure here for the persistent treasure hunter to, to dig and to find. And there's light here for the weary traveller. So if you've come hungry tonight to the house of God, if you've come like a hunger, a hunter seeking truth, if you come and you're weary and you're wanting light and rest, then here it is. There's a story told of a pastor called Ron um, Blankley. He was a former director of Campus Crusade for Christ and he was in the student union of Penn University. And he was going past a dorm and he saw a student reading the Bible. And he went up to the student and this is what he said. Do you understand what you're reading, young man? The reply was, no, sir, I don't. I I'm reading the genealogy of Matthew 1. I'm comparing it with Luke 1. And I have to confess, I don't understand. It's, it's too difficult. They're, they're different genealogies. Well, the pastor then took time to open up the text. He explained a few basic rules of interpretation. He shared a few truths with the young man. And before he left that door, that pastor, Ron Blankley, had the joy of leading that student to Christ. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ was born, the land of Israel was under the rule of Imperial Rome, for about 60 years already. And after Christ's birth and the start of his ministry at the age of 30, one of the disciples that he called to himself was called Matthew. And Matthew, remember, was a tax collector for the Roman authorities. He was an individual who Christ saved and had called to serve him. And it was this Matthew, or the other name was Levi, he wrote this inspired gospel by the Holy Spirit perhaps a few years before Jerusalem was actually destroyed in AD 70. And one of his main themes, one of his overriding concerns, was to set forth Jesus Christ as Israel's promised Messiah and the King of Heaven. Now Matthew is the most Jewish book in the Old Testament. It's full of Old Testament quotations. 
There's more quotations in Matthew from the Old Testament than any other of the three Gospels. And in reality, Matthew is perceived to be a a continuation of the Old Testament story. If we could summarize the Old Testament story in three words, it would be this, or four words, the king is coming. And Matthew then took up the pen to announce the king has come. But when Matthew starts his gospel, he starts with something interesting, something legal, something historical, but something that's practical. What does he start with? He starts with a genealogy. Now, I believe there's good reason for that. And we're going to ask the question, why start with a genealogy? What did that young student in the Penn University discover that day in the dorm as he was had the scriptures open to him by the pastor, Ron Blankley? And here's the answer. Now listen to me carefully. Follow with me in your Bible. Think of the main point of the genealogy. You see, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, is fundamental to discovering who the Lord Jesus is really is. Matthew starting with a genealogy to build a case study to show that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, to show that he is the king of heaven, Israel's promised king, the king of the Jews and the king of the Gentiles. Is Jesus Christ the promised Messiah? Is he the king of Israel? Is he the king of heaven? That's great. Well, where's the proof? Where's the evidence? Matthew, we would want to see the birth certificate. We would want to see the legal ancestry of this man. And Matthew, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sets forth that birth certificate or or that legal ancestry. You see, this was necessary. Why? Because it put to bed the lie That Jesus Christ is not the real king of heaven. That Jesus Christ is not the promised Messiah. You see, if Jesus Christ is not the fulfillment of God's covenant promise to Abraham and to David, mentioned in verse 1, then he's an imposter. Then he's not the right person to look for or expect as the coming king, as the promised Messiah. The reality is, of course, the Lord Jesus is who he said he is. And to prove that, Matthew would point you, if he was here in the pulpit, to all of these 17 verses. And he would say to us, look, here's the legal ancestry. The promised king has arrived. The day of his advent has come. You see, the word genealogy, young people, means genesis, or the beginning, or the origin. And when you read the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, or as I've put it, the family tree of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is real. This is historical. This is an illegal account of the earthly origin of the Lord Jesus. Now, now that's important. We'll ask you a question. How far back can you trace your family tree? You can go to Granny and Grandpa. You could maybe go to great-granny, great-granddad. You might go to great-great-granny and great-great-grandpa, three generations, four or five generations. 
And, and as you do that, you'll discover that the family history is important. And your family history that's important has to do with the origin of who you are, where you've come from, your lifestyle. And of course, a family tree or a family history is more important if you're royalty, like Prince William or Prince Harry. And I want to tell you something else, that a family history is most important to the Jews. The Jews were notorious for keeping records and keeping accurate genealogies. And they were stored in the temple archives. And they were viewed as all practical and all legal and all beneficial. Because here, notification about one's inheritance was set out. There was proof of ownership set out. Disputes could be settled by these archives to do with money and to do with title and to do with land and to do with property. And here's Matthew. And the main point of the genealogy is to make a legal case for the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's really saying as he writes these 17 verses, look at the records. Read them for yourself. Or, or, or go and visit the temple. Check it out for yourself. It's all public information. It's in the public domain. It's not a scam. It's all true. Think of the first verse, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the name given to God that gave to the angel that, that gave to Joseph. In other words, the name was chosen for him. And she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, of course, is synonymous with Joshua. Joshua is the one that led the children of Israel into the uh, promised land to the inheritance that God had for them. Through Joshua, they were saved and delivered. And that's the type of person of who the Lord Jesus was coming to be. He, he was coming to save his people. Think of the word Christ. It, in the Greek, it's Christos, which means anointed, the anointed prophet, the anointed priest, and the anointed king. Now, now, here's the point tonight. Jesus Christ is a real historical person. And these legal records produce solid evidence that this is not a fake story. And this real historical person, it's essential that you understand that he's coming as the king. The king has come. Now, we're thinking tonight in the Christmas story. And of course, at the heart of the Christmas story is what? The person and work of the Lord Jesus. Think of the little slogan, Jesus is the reason for the season. And that's, that's literally true. If there's no Jesus Christ at the heart of the Christmas story, there's no real Christmas. I think that in the 21st century we have sort of divided Christmas into two parts. There's the pagan Christmas. It's devoid of Christ. It's celebrated by the masses. But it's devoid of reality. Because at the centre of the pagan Christmas is the tree with all the tinsel and the lights and the, the bubbles. You've got the turkey. You've got wine and mirth and drunkenness and presents and all the rest of it. And as they celebrate something, they're celebrating something that's pagan. 
because it's, it's without Christ. And then there's the traditional Christmas. And that's what we'll be celebrating next Sunday evening. That's what we'll be celebrating that Christmas Day in Hillsborough. The word of God incarnate has come. The promised king has arrived. Our Messiah, his advent has come about. And remember, he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. He come to have a, a relationship with us. Now, now think of this. If he's a real historical figure, and if there's legal evidence to prove that, so it's not a fake story, and it's essential that we view him as the promised king, the word of God incarnate has come, then here's a question. Is he a reality in our lives? Is this something that's profound in our lives? When we think of the truth, God is with us, or, or he's heaven's king. You see, that's a huge claim, isn't it? An overwhelming claim, a, 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 a magnificent claim. It's an overpowering claim, but I want to tell you tonight, and for those that are listening on the internet, this is a claim, frankly, that many in Northern Ireland and in the United Kingdom and beyond do not believe. They know the Christmas story, that the babe in Bethlehem's manger was none other than God in the flesh. But they don't actually believe it. They don't believe it really happened. They don't believe it's a real historical event. It's a legend to them. It's part of the tradition. But they do not believe it. Now, now, are you amongst those that can say that tonight? That, yes, he's come in the flesh. Yes, he's heaven's king. But I don't really believe it. Therefore, if you don't believe it, there's no impact on your life. There's far too many that even go further and say, well, well, I believe it's true. God in the flesh has come. Heaven's king has come. But it has still no impact on my life. And for those that say that, there's something wrong. Because this should have the most profound impact on our life. You see, it meant something to Matthew. He started with the genealogy to prove the real historicity and the legality and the essentiality of Christ. He's the most important person in my life. The king has come. And I bowed the knee. He's my king. He's my God. He's my Lord. That's the main point, young people, in the genealogy. And that's why I struggled through to read it, even though I read it badly. I want you to think also of the main people in the family tree. You see, when you read Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, you're reading 42 names. I, I struggled through 42 names today. It's not a complete list, but it serves a, a purpose for the genealogy. There's three sections. Look with me at verse 17. Look at your Bible. Okay? Verse 17, we'll read it again. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now there's three sections. Chapter 1, verse 2 to 6a. 
You've got 14 generations mentioned, Abraham to David. And then from chapter 1, 6b to verse 11, you've got another 14 generations mentioned, David to the exile, to their carried away into Babylon. And then there's another 14 generations mentioned, chapter 1, verse 12, right through to 16, from, from the exile in Babylon right up to Joseph. And 17 really is a summary of those three sections of 14 generations each. Now, the number 14 is important. It speaks of double perfection. It was the Jewish practice to assign significance to, to numbers. 14 is a kingly sign. It's a kingly number. Go back to verse 1. It says, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Who's the first person mentioned in the genealogy? It's David. Okay? That's interesting. In the Hebrew alphabet, there's 22 consonants. There's no vowels. Each consonant has a number. You take the name David in Hebrew. You've got D. You've got V. And you've got D. I don't know where that's where DVD come from. But anyway, that's just interesting, right? DVD. D in Hebrew constitutes four. V constitutes six. Another D constitutes four more. Put them together and what have you got? You've got 14. DVD in the Hebrew consonants stands for 14. And you've got the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. In other words, he's related to him. He can trace his ancestry back to David. What was David? David was the king. If you come down to verse 6, it says, And Jesse begat David the king. Do you see the emphasis? This is what he did. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Do you see the emphasis there? Here's Jesus Christ, and he's related to the king. He's related to King David. He's the rightful heir of the throne. It's interesting that when you come to verse 6 in the first section, it starts with David and ends with David. And Jesse begat David, the king. Remember I told you, the name David in the Hebrew stands for 14. If David had a jersey to wear, the number 14 would be on it. You see, three times the name David's mentioned in the genealogy. Matthew is stressing the legal descent of Jesus Christ to David. And from David to Abraham. And from David to Abraham to Joseph. Joseph was, cause, was not his natural father. He was his legal father, but not his natural father. Now think of David for a moment. He's the king. We know him as the sweet psalmist of Israel, lovely singer. We know him as a man after God's own heart. But I want to bring you into the real world. At a funeral this week, the minister mentioned about the adverts in television. And he said we watch them, we're influenced by them, we're affected by them, but they're not real, they're not true to life. They're giving a false sense of a worldview. You see, 
When the name David is mentioned, we think of the king, singer of Israel, man after God's own heart. But did you know that David was an adulterer? Did you know that David in his life got another man drunk? Woe unto him that giveth his neighbour drink with the intent of getting him drunk. Did you know that David told lies to cover up his sin? Do you know that David had that man murdered? He was called Urias. What he did was he told Joab, his commander-in-chief, to put uh, Urias in the most dangerous part of the battlefield, in the very forefront of the battle, and then draw back so he would be killed, so that David could end up taking that man's wife to be his wife. And yet here he is. Now, this is amazing. It's all part of the family tree. The Lord Jesus announced his name to be connected with an adulterer and a murderer and a liar and a drunkard. Who does he mention next? Abraham. We think of Abraham, the father of the faithful, the friend of God. We think of a, a man of faith. But do you know that Abraham, before he was converted, was a moon worshipper? He was a pagan idolater. Do you know, even as a saved man, a believer, a man of faith, he told lies. He, 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 he covered up things. You see, Abraham had his faults and flaws too. He broke the ninth commandment. He bore false witness against his neighbour. And yet the Lord Jesus was identified with this man too in his genealogy. Oliver Cromwell said, paint me warts and all. And the warts and all are here. Come down to verse 10. And Ezekiel begat Manasseh. Did you know who Manasseh was? He was a pagan. He was deep dyed in sin. He was a very deep, dark, vile man. He was the man that murdered Uzziah. You know Uzziah the prophet? He had him sawn in half because of Isaiah's stand for truth and righteousness. You would say this man was beyond the pale. This, this, this man would be on the, the point of no return like they have in the Niagara Falls. But you read the Old Testament. Manasseh. You know he humbled himself. He repented. He, he got right with God. His life was changed. Now he was not perfect. But the grace of God flowed into his life. Just like it did with David. Like it did with Abraham. These are the people in the genealogies. Now, not just the men. Think of the ladies. Do you know that there are six ladies mentioned here? Look, look with me at verse 3. And Judas begat Phares and, and Zara of Thamar. Who was Thamar? She was wrongly deprived of motherhood by her husband. Then she was deprived of motherhood after her husband died by her brother-in-law. That was immoral. That was illegal. Then she disguised herself as a harlot. She slept with Judah, the son of Jacob. She was a sinful lady. She committed incest. She had a relationship with her father-in-law. I'm not going into the gory details, but this woman was deeply stained by sin. And yet that sin was covered by the grace of God. See, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It even reached to Thamar. Notice also, Mentioned here in verse 5, and Solomon begat Boaz of Rahab. Remember Rahab the harlot? She's part of the genealogy. A professional woman of the night. Maybe we could think, well, the Holy Spirit's bound to have made a mistake here. 
Oh, many of the modernists and liberals would love to take the name Rahab out of the genealogy, but he didn't. It's here it is for all eternity, because it's amazing the Lord Jesus allows a, a harlot and a prostitute to be associated with his family tree. And also, she was a Gentile. She was a non-Jew. <coughs> look, look with me at verse 6. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Bathsheba, she's not mentioned by name. I wonder why. Was that to protect her anonymity? Was that to spare her blushes? Because she was a woman who was complicit in sin. A beautiful woman, no doubt. A woman that had lure and appeal about her physicality. And yet the king took her. There was no protest. There was no saying no. And yet the Lord Jesus allows his name to be associated with her. Mention is made in verse 5 of Ruth. She was a Moabite as a foreigner. A worshipper of false gods. Broke the first and the second and no doubt other commandments. And yet there's grace for her. Grace for the lowest and the worst of sinners. Even grace for a Gentile. Then think of Mary. Look, verse 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary. Remember Mary says, if you link it up in Luke chapter 1 and in the verse 46, she said this. Luke 1, verse 46. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Here's her standing, the lowest state of a handmaiden. No doubt she was a humble peasant. No doubt she come from a poor background. But I, I think it refers not only to her literal state, but, but her spiritual state, her lowest state. Tied into that, my soul doth rejoice in God. My she knew she was a sinner and she needed to be saved. And she experienced the reach of the grace of God. You see, think of the reach of the grace. It covers the sin, the sin of David, the sin of Abraham, the sin of Manasseh, the, the sin of these women that are mentioned here in the Bible. 42 names, not complete, full of all kinds of people, obscure people, people with literally nothing about their background. But it's all legal and it's all essential because they're all part of the generations of Christ. We can ask these people who are, what are you living for? We could ask these people, who are, who are you connected to in your family tree? Thirteen sets of fourteen generations. Forty-two generations. And they're all connected to Christ. And I would ask you tonight, are you living for Christ? I would ask you tonight, are you connected to Christ? Are you in saving union with him by the grace of God? Because there was grace for their disgrace grace for their sin I want you to think quickly and I'll, I'll, I'll just be a few minutes think of the purpose of the family tree why is this information important well let me answer that Christ is the kind of person who's not ashamed of sinners all kinds of sinners all types of sinners because he's put them in his family tree. We could talk tonight about skeletons in the royal closet. And yet when you, when you think about it, 
then that means that Jesus is the friend of sinners. This man receiveth sinners. Luke 15 and 1 tells us. You would think, well, I'm a sinner tonight. Jesus would want nothing to do with me. I have got skeletons in my closet, in my family tree. You're wrong. Think of the, the men that's mentioned. Think of the woman that's mentioned. Different men and different women. And yet, the Savior's associated with them. He's identified with them. He's connected to them. Let me close with this illustration. There was a certain pastor, I don't know his name, but he, he, he took a girl to uh, a gospel concert, a, a young girl by the name of Kim. And uh, during the interval when the singing uh, was over, there was a preacher got up to preach and he produced a rose and he said, look how beautiful it is. And he sniffed it and he touched the petals and he talked a little bit about it. And then he talked about adultery. Talked about fornication and incest and homosexuality. And he urged the audience, those that would listen, don't get a disease. Don't be infected. And he says, I'm going to pass the rose around and I want you to touch it. I want you to smell it. I want you to think of how beautiful it is and how easily broken it is. And whenever it came back up after it would round the audience of three or four hundred people, petals had fallen off. It certainly didn't look as beautiful as when he handed it out. And it was broken. And it seemed dirty. And this is what he said as he finished his message. Don't be a dirty rose. A couple of weeks later, that pastor that took that young girl to the concert, who had heard that message, don't be a dirty rose. The phone rang and it was the, the girl's mother to say that Kim had been taken ill and put into the hospital and there was something wrong with her. So the pastor went to visit her, and this is what she said to him when he arrived. She says, Pastor, am I a dirty rose? And he looked at her and said, Kim, the Lord Jesus was born to die and come to seek and to save dirty, broken roses. That's why he entered the world. You see that preacher at the concert? He was stating a truth, but it was a very negative truth because he never mentioned that Jesus had come to seek in the sea of dirty, broken roses. And that's why he'd entered the world. The Lord Jesus was not afraid of sin. The Lord Jesus was happy to be associated with sinners. This man receiveth sinners. The Son of Man has come to seek in the sea of that which was lost. And you don't have to clean up your life. You just come as you are with all your brokenness with all your sin, and be thankful that Christ is not ashamed of sinners. And the Bible says, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I believe that's the purpose of the genealogy. And I want you to learn, just like that student learned in Penn University, I don't understand this. Understand the point. It's proof of the historicity and the legality and the essentiality of Christ the King. Think of the people involved, all kinds of sinners. And think of the purpose. They tasted the grace of God. Christ is associated with them, and you can as well. If you come to him tonight, repent of your sin and believe in him as your saviour. Thank you for listening. I trust and pray the Lord will bless these few remarks.
to those who are here tonight.